It's a racing weekend at Santa Anita, and there's lots of great stuff happening. First post, 12 o'clock on the 30th, the 31st, and the 1st. And the 1st is Dollar Day. You got $1 beers and sodas and $2 hot dogs for the day. Lots of cool stuff happening. Uh, Next weekend, the Coast to Coast Wagers are going to be coming back. They have an all-turf pick three at Santa Anita. You can check that out. There's also the Low Roller Handicapping Contest. That's going to be making its return. You've got Showviver. You've got Pick'em. All this great stuff. Go to SantaAnita.com slash contest to get all the information. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Friday, December 29th, as we uh, pass the fifth birthday of In The Money Media and get into uh, the next year, officially speaking or unofficially speaking, before the calendar turns. If you're watching along on YouTube, uh, let us know what you got for Christmas. Let us know how those holidays were and uh, how the betting's been going at this festive time of year. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatown, not too far from the Brooklyn Bunker, but actually out on Port Washington in Long Island, not too far from Belmont Park in my dad's old office. All those records that you see behind me when I'm sitting in Brooklyn, they used to be over here, wall to wall, floor to ceiling on, on the sidewall. These days, it's uh, it's more of a, I don't know what it is. It's just, a, they're, they're pretty, lots of pretty pictures of Italy and some horses lying around. But anyway, good vibes. I always enjoy broadcasting from here and i always enjoy broadcasting with the man i will introduce now coming to you from a place where there's a rumor that i may make my debut appearance uh in just a couple of months time that's houston texas and the man is nick tamaro nick what's going on doing great pete hope we uh we have you down here in fact i wore the the hou hat just to to remind you and uh yeah there's a lot of this is a city you'd really enjoy it's the uh culinary and cultural capital of the south i love so it we'd love to love to have you and good to be with you now post christmas pre-new years but ready to get the rest of the year kind of finished up with and get started again what did you get for christmas i i i always horse players always get some you know there's usually that one interesting gift that pertains to our pastime whether it's uh you know, some new three ring binders in the old days or uh, or like a pair or fine pair of binoculars. That would be another old days one. These days, it tends to be a little bit more virtual. You you get anything cool? I don't let my binoculars get too far away. So they're, <laughs> they're right here. Um, I got some stuff that I could use in the booth, which uh, which will be helpful coming up starting next week. Hopefully I don't sound so raspy by then. Maybe I'll, I'll let this run its course. I feel fine, which is weird, but. Um, nothing terribly big. I got a new lunch bag, which I needed. So that uh, coming very handy for, uh, for all the activities. What about your daughter? Of course, that's the, that's the most, uh, the most interesting stuff. What the kids, well, she's loaded up. She got a bicycle. She got a new bluey house toy. She got, uh, <laughs> dinosaur eggs. She got a new magic wand. So yeah, nice. We're lo- locked and loaded. Perrin we had a Disney on. movie marathon last night as well. So oh, yeah. fantastic! What was the what was the featured presentation? Uh, Lilo and Stitch. So we went from uh, we went from Elemental to Lilo and Stitch to uh, Wreck It Ralph. Oh, that's good. That's a good yeah, good trio. Perrin got uh, speaking of the the dinosaur egg stuff. She got this fun like 
excavation kit. She got very, very serious about it. She had all her tools. She was chiseling away at the clay and, and came up with some, nice. uh, some fun trinkets. She, she was very, very uh, happy. And then the big gift this year, you know, she's gotten into theater, specifically Shakespeare. And we're going to do a wonderful school schedule this year where for the first time in my memory, and I think the first time ever, um, she her school ends pre-ASCIT. So we're going to actually be able to have a family over. And then as a gift, we're going to do a little side trip over to Stratford-upon-Avon oh, nice. one day to do all the, the, the Shakespeare house stuff. So it's a good, a, a good, very Merry Christmas around these parts. And for me, my favorite gift might be this jacket that I'm wearing. I, I like this little uh, racing stripe situation. So let's get into the meat of why we're here, as much fun as it is to look back at the, at the holidays. We're going to look uh, ahead to a Saturday at Santa Anita where we're hearing weather might be in the game, Nick. Is that what you saw? Yeah, as of this morning, there's a forecast for about a quarter of an inch of rain. And, um, you know, hopefully that won't end up being quite as serious. But, yeah, I almost wonder if the racing office was trying to beat the rain by putting the two turf stakes early on in the card. And and maybe the forecast shifted a little bit since that was done. I'm going to look up the National Weather Service, which I think at times is a little bit more reliable. Um, they're saying rain, chance of precipitation, 80%, new precipitation between a tenth and a quarter. So nothing too crazy. You know, I think that if that's what it ends up being, I could see the Joe Hernandez, the, the, which is the first, going at six and a half on the straightaway rather than down the hill. Right. They do or they are very hesitant, even with a drop of water to run on the downhill. So we'll but maybe you're right. Maybe it'll be as simple as that. It's a heck of a of a curtain jerker, as it were. Three o'clock Eastern, the post time for this Joe Hernandez grade two action scheduled for down the hill. But double check. My angle has a little bit to do with down the hill on this one. But uh, we got this full field of 12 going post. We'll let you kick this one off, Nick. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm interested in hearing any angles. I thought this was really, really tough. Um, I ended up picking Lovesick Blues, who I don't love the jockey change um, to Tyler Bates from Umberto Rispoli. All due respect to Tyler, and Rispoli is one of the better turf jockeys in the in the colony. Uh, this horse was compromised last time by a, a traffic-laden trip. It was a weaker field, no doubt about it. I think the race and his past performance lines that you're looking at to try and say, hey, if he runs that, he can win, is the Daytona from last year where he got a big pace to run into. He put forth a really nice effort and, and he's run credibly sprinting on the turf now multiple times. So I was willing to give him the nod at what should be a relatively decent price. I think he'll go up off this six to one morning line too. That felt a little low and it feels as if this race is extremely contentious on paper. You know, the interesting horse in here, Pete, to me is the five peaceful waters. And I don't know how much you dug into this pedigree, but the second dam of this horse was the inaugural Breeders' Cup filly and mare turf winner soaring softly. So this is a big dam side for turf. Um, there are three turf winners in the first family. And um, John Sadler, first time turf non-maidens over the last five years, 19%, 342 ROI. ROI is bolstered a lot by 129 to one winner. That's four winners overall. So point being, this is this is a barn, obviously, that's prolific in general, but one that can have a horse ready to make the surface switch. He also figures to get a pretty good trip right outside of Forbidden Kingdom. So I picked it 7, 5, 10. I could make a case for lucky score down on the rail. I could also hear uh, cases on turn on the Jets and Olympic runner. It's a pretty wide open race. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to dig into. I did see that with Peaceful Waters. For some reason, I was envisioning envisioning him more hooking up with Forbidden Kingdom and maybe giving this race 
a much needed injection of pace. So I wanted to go in another direction. And the horse I was envisioning tripping out behind those two is one that you mentioned, and that's the number 10 turn on the Jets. And then my angle on this horse was just doing the full pedigree dig through. Sometimes when it's a horse doing something they haven't done in a while, in this case, the downhill, I'll go back and look not just at the raw figures or the results when they did the thing the previous time, in this case, again, going down the hill back, uh, gosh, which year was that? It went uh, back in 2022 when this horse first went down the downhill. I just noted the fact that the figures were virtually the same as the figures running in the flatter turf configurations. So with that in mind, looking at how this horse has gotten faster now as a a late season four-year-old, I was thinking those downhill numbers are going to improve similarly. And that would make this horse a major contender in this spot. And I think five to one is maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's probably accurate in such a competitive race where there's so much, uh, where there's so much else going on. So I kind of like turn on the jets in here. I definitely like peaceful waters as well. Uh, Forbidden kingdom for me is just one who I'm going to let beat me here because I do think is going to be compromised. Whether it's, whether or not, He's loose early. I think Peaceful Waters is going to really spy on this runner, and he's a very cool horse. This was a horse that a man on these airwaves, not either of us, once said would win the Triple Crown. That's how well he uh, he thought of he was back in the day. Um, that didn't work out, but he's just he's just always a horse who takes a little bit more cash than he should. So for me, from a wagering point of view, the approach might be trying to beat him. Don't necessarily trust some of the other lower ones uh, at the odd spectrum. I feel like we've identified the the three most interesting horses here in the, in the seven, the five and the 10. Yeah, I agree. I was a little concerned. I do. I do like your, uh, your confidence and your angle. I do think turn on the jets is probably a little bit better at five or five and a half, um, probably better with a, with a compact type run. But, um, you know, the good thing about this type of race with it being honestly run is that he could probably settle a few lengths off of it, as you're saying, and then make that one bid from the quarter pole home. It's also worth noting that we've only seen one day of racing at Santa Anita during the, the classic meet, um, which started on Tuesday. And it was advantageous to be forward on the turf. No doubt mm-hmm. about it. It was very hard to make up an appreciable amount of ground. So you at least want to keep that in mind when you're looking at uh, at Friday's card where you should be betting Mofox given in race number five. Um, who will be coming from off the pace, but is also going to win. And um, and keep that in mind on Saturday as well. Well, that's, that's good stuff. Let's go to race number three, the other graded stake here. This one at a mile and an eighth, you'd like to think we'll stay on with that tiny amount of rain we're going to get. Um, the grade three Frankel for these fillies and mares field of six going postward. And I didn't have anything too strong. I mean, my original short list was the three obvious horses, one, five, and six. The more I looked, though, the more I wanted to grade them and maybe even take a little bit of a shot against uh, Oakhurst just based on uh, based on the absolute lack of early speed there. You're one there, the six. I think if there's any kind of pace on, this horse has the ability, I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think to, to quicken a little bit more than a runner like Oakhurst. And 
I could see there being enough pace for this one to, to get going and see things out at the mile and the eighth based on pedigree and just form wise that handicap run at Ascot just really to me looks good enough to win a grade three race in California. Lakota spirit, the one runner I thought would probably get the best trip sitting in behind the presumptive early pace of the three and or four. And I wanted that one, maybe try to mess around and exact as one and six, six and one and figure Oakhurst will be a, a belated third in the spot. Who knows? Pratt rides so well, he may have other ideas and get her in the mix. And it's not like I hate her in this spot, but I was just trying to come up with something other than giving you the three favorites in a, in a six horse field. How do you see the Frankel? Yeah, I don't have anything much to add to that in terms of, of anything clever at all. Um, I picked Oakhurst, so you know my thought on Oakhurst was that while she has been a little underwhelming in recent starts, I mean she's just been facing significantly better horses than these. Yes. Your one there is the one that is the variable. Um, Lakota Spirit's coming out of one other thens. You know, I think it's it's notable that Lakota Spirit has improved as much as she has for Phil D'Amato. Obviously, facing softer competition has definitely helped, but um, and she has a big tactical edge. I'm hoping that Pratt gets Oakhurst into a spot, you know, three, four lengths off of it, and that she'll just outkick them from there. But not a race that I'm uh, I'm really chomping at the bit to be betting. Um, we'll see how much how much ground both Oakhurst and your one there have to make up because I mean I tried to even make some of the other horses in here that might be forward, including Angel Natashiko, but they're just not good enough at all. That's so, kind of it, yeah. It looks like it should be the the one five or six, and really when push comes to shove, it should be the five or six. If yeah, if it becomes a rider's race, that's no offense at all to Hernandez, but you know, you figure Pratt and Rispoli are, are, are gonna they're better that just that little yeah. bit of an advantage exactly that could tell, yeah. But there's a good point about the training job by D'Amato on Lakota Spirit. It isn't often you see one leave the barn of Chad Brown and get faster. Now, maybe some of that is just her going from being uh, in the brown barn, mostly a three-year-old, to being a late-season four-year-old, but it's still you don't see it often, so it is so it is notable. We'll see how that one shakes out as we skip ahead. What should we do? Why don't we do the pick five, which will send us ahead to race number five, where we've got two-year-old Calbred Phillies made in special weights going a mile on a turf. Another short field here. You talked about speed being advantageous on the turf. Well, if that's the case. Isn't Net Lamp the, fu the funnily named Lamprogini going to take a lot of beating in the spot? You have anything more clever than that? Yeah, you would imagine so. I mean, I ended up picking her second behind the two Quick Kate, um, figuring that Quick Kate with a better break from the gate, stretching out in distance, would probably have more speed. And she ran pretty well on debut. I mean, that was a race otherwise where the pace held together. The pace usually holds together at five eights. And uh, but this filly made up serious ground. She was bet down to five to two as well. So there was an expectation she was going to run well, and she did. So I would imagine that uh, that with more ground, she'll have no trouble. Um, so yeah, it seemed seemed pretty simple to me. The two and three, the six. Okay, Rose is going to get some money for Peter Erton with Flavian Pratt getting on board, and and she did run well last time out. Went third behind Lamborghini. Um, I would see her definitely as a a second tier type of of runner for me at least in the pick five. I'd probably just use the two and three and. I don't particularly like the horse, but I do like the name of the four. Be a goldfish, of course. A nod to Ted Lasso fame. Um, yes. Which never, never a bad idea to remind yourself to be a goldfish. <laughs> Those short memories help horse players as much as they help uh, footballers. And that's a good point about Quick Kate, an angle that I always talk about. When they bet hard first up, that's usually a proxy for them having early speed. And then when they don't break first up, 
a lot of times that's not, oh, they're going to be a habitual bad breaker. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's it was an unfamiliar thing and they're going to break a lot better second time out and show a lot more speed. And if that's the case, uh, you know, for a horse called Quick Kate that was bet hard first out, yeah, you can probably bet she's going to outperform that pace map. I'm going to be including her in my reckoning of the race as well. Race number six, we've got a short field of five for the starter allowance going a mile on the dirt this time around and a little bit tricky i want to come up with a pace angle time form says it's going to be uh one that favors horses that are going to be on or near but uh, the two obvious horses to me are going to be vying for that favoritism and i'm not sure which one to pick how did you uh come up with a winner for race number six and who is it yeah i'm, I'm not completely convinced that a mile is what he wants but the the race that the three hondo crouch ran last time out sort of indicates that he's probably just better than what he's running into today that was a good performance all in all he was wide going to the turn he, he broke from the far outside and you know delmar is generally an outside stalking track it's it's yep. usually advantageous to be in the, the, the three four path that's kind of the lightning lane um over the last couple of years on the dirt and and he was down on the rail for much of the middle, like four or five furlongs of this race. And then Frezu angled him out at the top of the stretch and he started running a little bit. Um, that was also a race I think that was better in terms of depth from top to bottom. Uh, additionally, I mean, Mark Glad had a really bad summer Delmar meet, had a really good Santa Anita fall meet and now started on the 26 with three wins. Yep. So it feels like his runners will probably be in really, really good form to start the meet. Um, Bendetti Joe and Delmar Jerry are the other horses. Delmar Jerry, I'm not completely convinced, is a dirt horse. And Bendetti Joe is going to have to run better to beat Hondo Crouch. So it felt like if Hondo Crouch is ridden aggressively out of the gate, he's probably going to get to the front. He'll probably be pretty tough to beat from there because there's just not a lot of speed in here with it being such a compact field. And Frez is capable of that ride for sure. You know, he, so. he's, he's it's a little bit of an in and outer from the, from the day. You know, I don't follow like absolutely rate every race day in day out um santa the way that i once did or the way that you or dean kepler do but you know i i, I think fraser's capable of giving this one the right kind of ride and cu coupled with the the glatt hot barn factor feels like the one that feels like the one that i want the most and yeah the, i guess the closest thing i'd have to an opinion in terms of the late picks would be i would be willing to play out Delmar Jerry and just lose if that one were to win as much as I love those connections I just think it's a tricky spot in a race with no pace and then the other positive on uh, on Hondo just feels like one who's been against the flow and then this time around should be decidedly with the flow race number seven we proceed to this is two-year-old maiden claimers going five and a half on the dirt race where uh, time form has the 11 runner sunset storm loose that always makes me take another look uh, all-time hunch horse for me based on my uh, my grandfather who worked for Seagram's and one of his brands was Shivas Regal I always give Mr. Shivas an extra look that one uh, pretty exposed but only a, a second time gelding in this spot very curious to hear from a proper handicapping point of view Nick who you came up with in here with that lead, and I wasn't sure if you were going to Mr. Shivas or let the liquor talk. So it might be the right exact, the right. No, uh, I actually I like let the liquor talk. Who's a second time starter for Jeff Mullins? Uh, didn't take any money on debut against fifty maiden claimers. 
but actually ran a better race than it looks on paper. Didn't get out of the gate all that great. Ended up rushing up along the inside, chased on the rail really much of the way, understandably tired late. Gets a little drop in class here, um, staying in the open 32s. And just a, you know projecting that this horse runs better with some experience. You would think that would happen. It usually does. Mullins has solid numbers with second-time starters. The problem with Mullins is he's a guy whose horses generally are over bets. So you're not going to find a lot of positive ROI stats. Uh, but I do think this is a horse that looks pretty formidable. I thought the uh, the eight sharp Lorenzo was interesting enough for Lorenzo Camposano. There's a barn, small time barn uh, based at Los Al does, uh, or has, I think has the majority of his horses run at Los Al, but has had some success in Southern California throughout the circuit. This is a horse who ran last against uh, maiden special weight runners now in for a tag, just sort of an obvious drop. Feels like one that uh, that could run better after showing at least a little bit of life last time out. The 11 Sunset Storm is first off acclaimed by Val Brinkerhoff. This is a barn that is is solid and 30% first off the claim on the dirt, positive ROI there. So a little bit of an angle for a horse that went off seven to five in an eight horse race and took a lot of, 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 of money, obviously, showed a lot of speed as well. So we'll see if he can run back to that. And um, the four smiling Jojo had a lot of speed last time out, ended up opening up a pretty clear lead before tiring. So it feels like a race where good thing is that Hondo Crouch and, uh, and then the fifth will probably only end up being too deep. You're probably going to have to go four or five deep here in order to really get all your bases covered. Nine, eight, 11, and four were the numbers I wrote down. And I throw in the one as a backup as well. And, and then, yeah, and I wrote down 11 and one, but I'm with you. And I'm probably even in my official picks going to go ahead and, and, and put the nine and the eight in there. I think we'll, we'll, we'll spread similarly and see if we can't survive in advance. As Nick points out, when you can get so skinny in the other legs, that becomes a viable strategy. And there's just a, a lot more questions than answers when you're delving into the form of race number seven. Race number eight brings us back on the turf, going a mile, maiden, calbreds. Field of eight, who do you like in here? Well, I mean, what you want to do is find a way to bet against the five ghostly act, right? Who's now 0 for 10, five second place finishes, um, looked to have dead aim last time out and came up wanting undoubtedly the horse to beat. But from a betting perspective, you have to look for alternatives. And the alternative to me clearly was the two Antibes. Now, you and you will laugh when I, of course, bring up why Antibes makes me laugh. And there's a line in the first season of The Sopranos when uh, Dr. Melfi refers to Green Grove as a resort at Cap Dantib. And so Tony re- tries to repeat that to his mother and says, it's like a resort at Captain Teebs. And she says, <laughs> what's that? He says, it's some rich guy who has a chain of hotels. <laughs> so Antib is the one that I ended up siding with, uh, and not just because of his name. But look, he was stretched out in distance last time. I'd actually picked him that day, too. And uh, it was not Giovanni Franco's finest work. He wrestled with this horse for the first half mile of the race. He wanted to be forward. He ended up wrangling him back to eighth. And I mean, he just gave up precious ground. And, you know, these Southern California turf courses, they do this in New York constantly. But you can wrangle your horse back in New York and still win. It's awfully hard to do it over there. Right. Yep. It's, it's usually a quicker race. It's a it's a tighter turn course. Um, it's unforgiving if you're trying to make up significant ground. So I didn't like the trip this horse got. I think he'll get a better one with Juan Hernandez from the inside. And I'm really expecting them to show more speed. I think if that's the case, this horse could be very dangerous. So Antibes was one that I wanted to really try at four to one or so. And um, and the other horse that I'll use as an A is the 8B Punctual, who um, comes back off a layoff, last seen against Stakes Company, two turf races prior to that, both good enough. If Ghostly Act wins, I lose. 
I'm so with you on this. It's starting with Antibes. If it had been a seaside resort in Italy instead of France, I think he would have gotten the reference. I'd like to think that anyway, though I guess Maybe. at that point in the storyline, he hadn't been to the old country. But, you know, that's that's a tangent for another time. But, yeah, th this horse just makes sense, comparatively unexposed, and it's just one of my favorite old-school form angles. I mean, yeah, he was beaten pretty soundly by Ghostly Act, but for those four lengths, when you factor in the trip and then you factor in I mean, Ghostly Act ain't going to be no five to two, right? Isn't this a horse they could go nuts for and bet into six oh, to five? Yeah. And, and just feels like one that, you know, I'll take the price and the trip for the difference between six to five and five to one for, for Antibes. And, but the other one you mentioned is the one that I like the best. Be punctual because yeah, this horse just has, has races good enough to win. And, I like the fact I like the pace map for this horse. I like the idea of one that's shown uh, an ample amount of finish for this level or certainly running on through the lane for this level that this time around is just going to be so much closer to the pace. So I, I feel like be punctual and Antibes are the right plays. Hopefully we're not being uh, too clever here. We can beat this ghostly act and potentially be in business. It's not like ghostly act can't win. Just, I think it's just a poor, wagering proposition is that right or do you hate ghostly act more than do you have like a real form reason to say the horse can't win or is it just a value concern for you yeah just a value concern no this horse absolutely can win i mean and if you're of that persuasion then use but um you know one that i don't i don't think you're getting any value using this horse i do expect him to go down quite a bit off the uh, the morning line so just one that i want to try and beat to uh create a little value we go back to the dirt for 12,000 claimers. Some real bread and butter stuff in race number nine. But with that, we also get a big full field of 12 uh, showing up to the party here. Nick, who's your idea of the winner and what will your approach be in the late pick five? Yeah, interesting race, big field. And if it stays intact, I mean, they really should move on the front end, which um, which I think will help the nine big splash who, uh, who I ended up picking. This is a horse who came back last time out at Los Al going 1,000 yards. Um, really walked out of the gate and and it looked as if the jockey was instructed to just get this horse around there and mm -hmm. he ended up angling him in coming off the turn he got third they didn't really persevere with him on the gallop out it was just simply a leg stretcher it almost felt like you know this is going to be as good as three workouts so I'm hoping that he can run back to that good race from Santa Anita in June I know he was with Milton Pineda back then Milton Pineda is a trainer who's not in the game anymore. Um, so there's a little bit of a shadow over that. However, I do think pace-wise, he sets up very well. Also worth noting, um, this is for everybody in general, but uh, Thoroughgraphs are free this week, and this is their annual giveaway during the stretch between Christmas and New Year's. These are the kind of races I think the Thoroughgraphs are great for because yes. you really can narrow down some of the differences between them. And, and his best sheet numbers really fit very well with everybody else in here. Uh, I thought the other horse that you had to at least pay some serious attention to was the six Buck Owens, who shortens up now from a mile. Two back ran very well at this three life level, missing by a nose at Del Mar behind a repeat winner. I picked it nine, six, 12. I'll use every bit of the three of them. I'll probably use the 10 and 11 as well in some capacity, more than likely more so as backups. But uh, I'm going to play this thing for a big pace. And, and if so, then I think the winner ends up either being the nine or six. You mentioned the one that I was interested in, the 11 Magnificent Ride. Comes here off a, a wire win in a slow pace, but I just like the fact that the, the, that the horse 
upline that day was going faster later. A lot of times when you see that, especially with a horse who was just coming off the bench, they can be more tractable than that. And I was just envisioning maybe, just maybe, a perfect trip for Magnificent Ride. You know, first time against winners in the 14th start, that ain't easy. But this might be the kind of group, and this horse might get the kind of trip where that's okay. suppose if uh, Fresu has a good day, I'm going to have a good day. The six, Buck Owens was another one. I thought just seemed like an obvious one to potentially benefit um, in terms of the uh, dropping class and the way that the pace was going to shake out. I did have another question for you about the horse coming out of the mixed breed race. Um, who's the number nine big splash. Well, I looked at it ultimately did not commit to, I will probably not throw in on your say so, but just generally speaking, those mixed breed races, uh, how do you how do you evaluate them? I mean, I thought you made a great point about this when that race being used as a prep off the layoff. And we've heard so many horsemen say usually about first time starters, but it works off the layoff, too, that a race can be worth three workouts. But generally speaking, how do those mixed breed Los Al races class up with these lower level claimers at Santa Anita? I mean, usually what I'll do is look at the running lines of the horses that were in there and see where they fit. And uh, hey, Batman, and so I'm told, who were the one-two finishers that day? They're horses that have been getting mid to upper 60 buyers. So it, it seemed like it was pretty consistent with this. Um, it was an allowance race, obviously. So you would think, at least on paper, it was a little bit better. Those class lines kind of blur. But um, I think effectively, most of those are just 12-5 to 16, three life claimers, just the same as they would be at the at the bigger tracks. Um, but I do think it's important to look at some of those, those horses, past performances, yeah. the tool like formulator to try and get a sense of it, because I do think you're going to have occasions where they are significantly weaker. I also know that at a thousand yards, it's nearly impossible to make up 10 lengths. So I think that's part of the reason why big splash wasn't persevered with. Now, look, I don't love that. He was coming back from a layoff and walked out of the gate. It's not a great sign. And usually horses that are in good form do break. But with that said, I think he probably needed the race and I'm expecting improvement. Double digit long shot, man. I is you know, it's one of those things where those factors, like you said, where you can sort of conjure a case that there's some re way in which the horse might be done. Well, it's also it's 12 claimer, like a lot of them could be done. It's that's a great reason to bet against a favorite, but not yeah. a good reason to throw out a long shot. So I'm absolutely with you on that. Nick, this was really fun. Uh, we're going to be having you back, uh, hopefully more lately. It's been like either you or me on the late week show. Hopefully we can do this a lot more in the early part. And hopefully throughout 2024, we get to talk about these races together. Cause I like to think we, you know, talk, hopefully give out some winners, but we're also talking a little bit more generally about some of these angles that can help people going forward in their handicapping. Again, if you're listening on YouTube, chime in. Uh, make a comment with whatever you want. We are, I am interested in what you got for Christmas. I'm also interested in uh, which leg you want to narrow down it or which race is your favorite to bet at Santa Anita on Saturday. I want to get a little better this year. One of my New Year's resolutions. Let's interact in the comments a little bit more and you know continue to foster this sense of community that we have. Nick, appreciate you. Look forward to hearing you behind the mic at Sam Houston soon. And we'll be talking. Sounds great, my friend. Thanks so much. Happy New Year. Next up on the show, very happy to turn our attention to Turfway Park, where the racing has been so strong of late, and we've gotten a lot of winning ideas and suggestions from our next guest. We welcome him in one more time in calendar year 2023, but we'll hope to have him back soon, coming to us from the Churchill Downs Empire. He is Kevin Kirstein. KK, what's up? Good morning, Pete. Happy uh, early New Year to you. And, and to you as well, my friend, are you guys uh, getting excited? I mean, I know that there's all kinds of interesting 
racing going on between what's going on down at fairgrounds and of course at Turfway. Where will most of your action be focused over this holiday weekend? Well, you mentioned both of those spots and, uh, you know, I handle most of the things here in Kentucky. So I'll be uh, up and back I-71 to Turfway quite a few times. We saw the road of the Kentucky Derby go through Turfway Park last year when uh, Two Phils was dominant in the Jeff Ruby Stakes, and we saw him run a great race in the Kentucky Derby. So, um, you know, hopefully that's going to be the case again for the three-year-old program up at Turfway this wintertime with the Battaglia Memorial and the uh, Jeff Ruby Stakes on the road of the Kentucky Derby. But, of course, you got to focus on the fairgrounds where they kick off the road of the Derby with the, uh, the Risen Star in mid-February. So lots of action. At both those CDI properties running this winter time, and uh, lots of uh, action on the road to the Kentucky Derby soon in the future. I think our KTDF sponsorship technically is going to resume, hopefully in about March. But you know, we'll be turning to you as no good deed goes unpunished around here for some looks at those preparatory stakes at Turfway over the winter. Hopefully, you'll be happy to join us. Maybe we'll pop up some YouTube comment about that because, of course, uh, the the Derby content is always what people are interested in. I know you're going to be a all that yeah absolutely you know we could always talk derby here at churchill downs all year round and uh <laughs> you know it's it's just great that we have so many of this high quality racing products going on especially here in kentucky with the uh the increased funding with the ktdf you know the the purses at turfway are just unbelievable and the horse players are just matching it with massive pools every night so you know coupled with the the great support of the ktdf and uh with horse players it's a great place to spend your winter time wednesday through saturday nights at turfway park you, we've seen it, and this meets a great example of Kentucky really becoming uh, a, a, almost a standalone year-round circuit in addition to everything else that happens around the country that has derby implications and had a very funny conversation in one of our Turfway shows with, uh, with, with Caitlin Free where we talked about, you know, at post post breeders cup we around here, we really start to think about Kentucky Derby. And she said, well, for me, I start thinking about the Kentucky Derby, the next year's Kentucky Derby, the day after the Kentucky Derby. And I imagine it's very much the same for you. It, it really is. And, you know, uh, it's funny where, you know, the Kentucky Juvenile, which is run during Kentucky Derby week, it's sort of like the unofficial kickoff of, you know, talking <laughs> Derby, even though it's not on the road to the Derby. And so we're, we're talking next year's Derby before even this year's Derby runs. And so uh, it's really for us as soon as that Sunday hits and we, uh, we get through Kentucky Derby 150 this year, we'll be looking ahead to 151. And it's always exciting to uh, sort of see. We take a, you know, a little bit of a breath on the road to the Derby, uh, of course, after the Derby, but it really starts to focus up in the, uh, the late summer into September uh, where the road to the Kentucky Derby begins. And we're going to be doing more than ever. I'm looking forward. I was actually going to do it as an end of year special before the sinus infection had other ideas where I did like a top 10 contender countdown. Eric DeCoster did something like that for us on the written side over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. But I'm looking to early year do that where we'll just have a bunch of five minute videos on YouTube, maybe show a replay or two definitely show a past performance or two and just start getting folks familiar with some of these horses we're going to be talking about as we start March to the first Saturday in May. But right now, my friend, we're concerned with the last Saturday in December, Saturday, December 30th, Turfway Park. We're going to look at the last five races. Action kicks off. It's kind of perfect here. 7.55 on Saturday night. Good uh, evening wagering activity for these maiden fillies, three and up going a mile on the synthetic. You're going to hear me say a lot. There's a lot during the show. Big full field here. Who do you like? 
I'll tell you what, you know, before we start talking about this race, it's just a reminder that the end of a holiday meet at Turfway Park is on Saturday. So there's mandatory payouts in all wagers, including this late pick five. And we see it, you know, night in and night out. There's chances to be late pick five carryovers and, of course, the single six jackpot. So this mandatory payouts all evening uh, for the end of the holiday meet and this late pick five sequence is definitely challenging, especially uh, kicking off in this fifth race where, you know, you have a couple of horses that have shown some form on the tapita surface, like the number five. Sherbet Fountain, who's three to one on the morning line, ran a mile and an eighth on uh, the November the 30th to kick off the holiday meet and just sort of ran in place that day. Really just didn't show much of anything, but did show some okay form and ran an okay speed figure doing so and uh, has some synthetic experience from back over in Kempton when she was a two year old that, you know, maybe she is running on her preferred surface where some others have shown some not so good form on both the turt and the turf and the dirt and trying to uh, maybe wake themselves up on the synthetic. So I'm definitely going to use her uh, to kick off the, the, the sequence. I'm also going to use the number seven, Queen Rhaenyra for Michael McCarthy. This horse has shown absolutely nothing, but I've sort of seen, uh, you know, the Michael McCarthy barn and got some inklings that this horse maybe is just going to be right on this uh, tapita surface. And so they're really looking, even though she hasn't shown much of anything in her first two starts that she's going to improve on the tapita surface here. She's eight to one on the morning line, going to throw her into the mix as well. And one other one that I want to include is the 10 Cromaldi. This is another one that really hasn't shown much at all, both on the dirt and on the turf. And so uh, Greg Foley is a five-time leading trainer at Turfway Park. He really hasn't focused his string much on Turfway Park in recent years, but he was the king of Turfway Park back in the day. And he's really kept some of his better horses at home rather than going to fairgrounds. And this is a horse that I know he's fond of uh, going on the, the Tapita surface. So the 10 Cromaldi is another one I'm going to include to kick off this late pick five sequence. Five, seven, and 10. Interesting info on uh, the McCarthy runner. You know, we talk about Turfway and the and the legitimate year-round circuit in Kentucky, but there's still no doubt about it. This is going to be a drop going from uh, late season Churchill turf, 120,000 purse to this $70,000 maiden event. So, so I can, I can hear that one uh, for sure. But with Jungle Cat, who I imagine will be bet amongst the favorites here, is it just a case of this uh, maybe being a career maiden that's going to be a little bit too short for you as opposed to one you don't think has any chance? You know, it's the career maiden factor, right? I mean, although she's by Animal Kingdom, who, uh, of course, you know, used the Jeff Ruby stakes to vault in the Kentucky Derby, that was, you know, a, a different synthetic surface of Turfway. So it's not really, you know, has that tapita in the form. This, this horse just doesn't like to win. And last time out, it was sort of like, you know, maybe that's it for me, even though going the mile and an eighth has tried everything, just does not like to win. And so I think it's just going to be too short when there's, there's some others that could offer some value. I think that makes sense. Race number six, we move to the allowance ranks. We're going six furlongs on the synthetic. Just the 10, just the 10 runners slated uh, to head postward here. Where is your eye drawn? Yeah, so the way I'm sort of playing this sequence is I'm narrowing early and then uh, going to spread a little bit late. I think this is a race where you can narrow early. Uh, the two Detroit City, after this horse, you know, was on a layoff from April until August, I think is just running his best uh, efforts over the synthetic surface, you know, came at, at Presque Isle three starts ago while in the Jack Sisterson barn, 
ran a solid race to uh, to win an allowance event that day, and then came back at Gulfstream Park and ran two monster speed figures. So I think this horse may just be faster than the rest of the horses in this field. But, you know, another one that is in good form that I think you can use, and it's just, you know, I'm going chalky, and I feel bad doing so. But I think, you know, the, the way that the sequence shapes out is you can find some prices later on. The five Antares for Billy Mori, this horse who ran last time out on the, on the turfway surface, Ran a solid speed figure. Has to improve maybe a little bit, but the numbers are there on the synthetics. Runs his career best speed figures over the synthetic surface. And so even though these two horses are both the shortest price in this field of 10, I think you can get away with just using these two in the second leg of the pick five. You never have to twist my arm too much with that approach, especially when you're dealing with one like Antares, who looks pretty clearly to be the best best speed horse in the race, excuse me, and has a little bit of finish. And then Detroit City might be able to uh, fill that role of best closer and certainly nothing against Jack Sisterson, who we love around here and does an excellent job at the switch to maker might just... Um, be able to uh, to help a little bit, who knows, when it comes to Detroit City's chances in race number six. We have stakes action coming up in race number seven, the appropriately named Holiday Cheer Stakes, going six furlongs for three and up with 125000 in the pot. Kevin, who gets the money? You know, the, the one interesting angle that I'm looking at just, you know, in this race is it's a spread in this, uh, this race for me with going narrow in those first two legs. And there's some horses that, you know, have shown some form on dirt and, you know, you don't know if they're going to be fast enough on the synthetic or they can even transfer and run that well. There's a big long shot I like in this race, and that's the four started from the bottom out of the John Ennis barn. John has been doing a great job to start the meet here at Turfway Park. Adam Biskitza, who was used to be the stable rider from the number two horse De Hobbs connections, Ed Vaughn, over in Europe. And he yeah. sticks with the number four, started from the bottom. I think he could have ridden both horses, and he chooses this one who's offering some bigger value. This horse hasn't run a whole lot of, uh, you know, stiff competition, but is in great form. And uh, if he can transfer this form over, I think is very dangerous at a big price. I'm also going to include the number six, True Temper, who's undefeated over the synthetic surface over at Woodbine. The number six horse for the Mark Cassie barn has run fast speed figures and comes into this race, of course, undefeated. So you can't knock anything on the record. The seven condemned I'm using for Tommy Drury. This is a horse who won last time out at Turfway Park. The next logical step is going in this race here, uh, timing wise. And of course, you know, just looking at that last race will be very dangerous if you can run that uh, that race back. The number nine, Fortin Hill, is one of those wild cards, Pete, because this horse ran a monster race at Keeneland in October, but that was over the dirt. This is the first time on the synthetic surface. Can this horse return to form and run that race back? It was a huge speed figure. If this horse can, you know, transfer that, you know, he's going to be the one to beat. I can see a lot of people singling him, but I'm just going a little bit deeper doing the what if angle i'm still using him but i'm using the the what if if he can return to that and the final one i'm using is the number 10 nighttime for billy Mori. ran a game second last time out at turfway has shown uh a liking to the surface up at turfway park and so uh i I think if you know he can run back to some of those those races he's going to be right into the mix as well so a a spread race for me here in the holiday cheer but it's a great race to bet vertically if you're going to get it right you're going to get it paid Started from the bottom. That's a real interesting case. Great little piece of institutional knowledge. Uh, big uh, Biskitza fan personally. And just looking at that one's work tab too. Those works at the training center look pretty strong. And this pedigree more than some of the others who are trying synthetic for the first time 
looks to me like one that got going by feel here, but but like one that I think could enjoy the synth. So with so many other contenders, my idea there, I think, would be to just sort of run this forerunner through uh, the vertical exotics with the other runners you mentioned and really hope to, to hit something big as well as maybe a little bit of win place action. That sounds like a reasonable approach to wagering there. That, that certainly is. You know, you can't, you know, uh, we got in a conversation on, on Twitter the other night of Gary Palmasato and myself just placing a win wager. You know, you, you try and get cute in some of these big field races because, you know, you can get hit with some of these massive exotic payouts. But, you know, there's so many question marks with some of the other horses, especially if you aren't confident with ones that could run well. And so just placing a win wager on a horse like that and you maybe using, you know, 75 to 80 percent of your bankroll on that win rate wager and then maybe using the rest of the 20 or 25 percent to try and hit some of those exotics, you know, to really blow out the picture. But you can, you know, certainly get enough of your bankroll uh, paid if you uh, just place a win wager on some of these horses that are double-digit odds. I love that idea, and it reminds me of uh, a couple of lessons I've learned from different bettors over the year. Tommy Massis was somebody who, in his horizontal wagering strategy, even still uses what you might call like a pyramid structure with the 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 widest combinations at the bottom and then looking to hit more tickets in in other denominations as you go to the top of the pyramid. That idea to risk and reward also applies to wagering writ large. And little preview of a book I have the pleasure of working on right now with Matt Miller, a former Reader's Cup betting challenge champion. He likes the idea of the pyramid where the bottom of your pyramid, that's your win bet. That's where that's where your lowest risk is. And then if you want to get cued and take a shot at practice by pressure, whatever, have those be represented by smaller dollars as you go up the pyramid. And hey, if that means you can't play every horse you want in, a, in an exotic bet, maybe you find a partner to do that part of the betting or you just read it more like a flyer. But that idea of betting more where you have a the, the best chance at hitting where your strike rate is going to be the best. It makes a whole lot of sense. And we'll see, hopefully we'll, we'll get this, uh, we'll get this start from the bottom somewhere in the mix in that holiday cheer stakes, providing holiday cheer for all of us. Next up, we have race eight, more bread and butter stuff here with the $7,500 claimers going a mile and the field of 12 um, looks pretty competitive. Uh, according to the morning lines anyway, with a few horses very clearly there, four horses in the betting under six to one. How do you see this one? Man, this race is impossible. I mean, it is just absolutely impossible. And so this is the way that I'm attacking the sequence is I'm spreading as deep as I can and as deep as your pockets can have uh, in this race. Because especially when you're, you know, the the type of, you know, wagering strategy I have overall at Turfway is spread as much as you can in the lower level claiming races and try and narrow in the horses that have shown some form, especially showing some form on synthetics. And so it's like that, you know, in a lot of races too, you know, dirt and turf, but just, I think it just is overarching at turf way and just very important because uh, there's so much of these lower level horses that, you know, I see night in and night out. You're like, how in the world did they win? And they caused these big carryovers in the pick fives and the pick six. And it's, you know, just trying to, you know, I hate throwing a dartboard and not giving, you know, stiff opinions, but it, it's sort of that way. Golden Rain from the rail, if you're putting a gun to my head, I think is going to show some more tactical speed again with Jane Elliott. Ran a great race on November the 29th for uh, that $5,000 non-two level. And I think is just finding his friends, even with this, uh, you know, being a, a slight uh, rise in class, I think is with his friends in this race. Um, and, and then to the far outside too, 
Uh, the number 12 horse is broken justice for the Ricky Short Barn. Gerardo Corrales ran a game second at the same level last time out. If you can, uh, this horse can return to that form. He doesn't like to win. He's one for 20, and so that's the reason why I'm spreading in this race where you're having, you know, one for 20s, one for 16s, uh, one for 17s. You have a lot of horses that don't like to win, so just try and spread as much as your bankroll can, uh, can do so. I hear you. It may, it's, it's, it's a logical approach for sure. One of those more unexposed runners relatively who I would definitely need to have on tickets, I think is the five electrostatic, not super exciting, but you know, at least this one only has the four starts. And while there really did no running in the last two, I mean, those are the $30,000 claimer. I mean, that's a, that is a significant drop down, isn't it? To, to this level. It, it is, and then maybe it isn't, because maybe some of those horses that were in that $30,000, you know, race, you know, outside of maybe uh, the winner who won by three in that race, maybe they belong in this race, and they were sort of, you know, you know, thrown into that race. And uh, so, you know, on paper, it looks like a big, bigger drop than maybe it could be with some of those also-rans in that $30,000 race last time out. Well, I'm glad I asked that question, because it's not a race where I'm in the hurry to back the favorite, and Electrostatic is the morning line favorite. We'll talk about one more race. It's race number nine. We close it out with these two-year-old Philly maidens going six furlongs on the synthetic and an oversubscribed field. Is this one where you've got something to latch on to or a little more spread and hope? You know, I, there's a couple I'm using in this race. Um, the seven Catalina Nina, I thought was an interesting first time starter from the Ian Wilkes part. And, you know, the storyline with Ian Wilkes is a lot of people don't think that he can win first time out, but he really can with the right type of horses. This horse has been working at the Skylight Training Center, which is in Goshen, Kentucky, uh, about 40 minutes east of uh, Churchill Downs. And it's a synthetic surface over there. And uh, just on paper, uh, you know, you're seeing some faster synthetic work over there. I, I don't know how the horse is working, but it's just very interesting that this horse is working over a similar surface that she'll debut at. She's a daughter of Catalina Cruiser. Um, and Ian Wilkes, you know, he does not pop necessarily with a lot of first-time starters, but if they're well-meant, he can win with them. And I thought this is one to maybe include uh, in the race. The logical horse is the number four, four stirred up from the Michael McCarthy barn. Eclipse Thoroughbreds uh, owns this runner and also was a, a co-breeder on her. She ran uh, and debuted on December the 6th at Turfway um, in a very in the, the exact same type of race. And I thought ran a good fourth that day. It was only beaten four lengths and can improve with some, uh, some starts. Golden Delmar has gotten a lot of chances, uh, eight of them to be exact for a two-year-old. Uh, this is a one that you know the way that she ran last time out ran her best race i thought on the uh, tapita surface at turfway uh yar marie correa is a very underrated rider from the ohio circuit and i think uh she's been riding some of her best races here at turfway park this winter and so i think this is one to definitely include on your tickets as well um and then one one final one so that's the four the sixth and the seven i'm also using the number 12 flowery path for connor murphy again working on that similar surface at skylight as the ian wilkes first time starter did they actually share a barn over at the skylight training center this horse worked 47 and 4 out of the gate on december the 23rd and that work just stood out to me on paper and again you know a first time starter breaking from the far outside post you know may not be some cup of tea for a lot of people but that work last time out proved that maybe this horse can work uh fast from the gate and will pop out of there and get a clear lead down the backside under jane elliott so uh going to include her as maybe a little bit of a price in this final leg of the pick five Wow, lots of good ideas there. And you make such good points about uh, Wilkes in general. So get this. If you just run the stat 
over the last five years of Wilkes first time starters, they fit the stereotype, right? They're like 6%, 20% in the money. But, you know, a lot of them are just so clearly out for a leg stretch. They're 40 to one. They're 50 to one. I just ran the stat Wilkes first time starters. I did this through formulator. You could easily use race lens as well of horses that were bet. Okay. So I just made it five to one and shorter. And then the win percentage goes up to 21%, 56% in the money. The crowd is on to them, obviously, they're bet. But still, the idea of reflexively throwing one out, not smart, especially when it comes to a situation like this where, you know, it's not the strongest. It's an interesting little race, but it's not the strongest group of two-year-old fillies uh, through, through, the, through the year as well. So your, your, your full spread was 7-4... Did I get this right? Seven, four, six, twelve, one, or did I that, get something? Seven, four, six, twelve. Seven, four, six, twelve. Be- beautiful, beautiful, excellent. I don't know why I included the one. Um, <laughs> Heavenly dream. Now, now I feel like I have to at least look at the horse. Right, coming exactly. Off, <laughs> coming off the long layoff, two competitive efforts on dirt um, over in Indiana. Tricky draw. I don't know. Who looks like a horse that's going to take money that I know nothing about? I, I think the ones you mentioned are definitely more. <laughs> Now I'm gonna to have to throw her in though, just because <laughs> the deepest, deepest of the of the backups on the one, just because we just because we made that happen. Um, very funny, Gavin. You were great. So fun catching up with you. Uh, I kept you a lot longer than I said I was going to, but that's because I was having too much fun. That happens around here, and uh, very much looking forward to talking to you as we turn the calendar and start uh, talking Derby in January. Absolutely. Appreciate your coverage. And, uh, you know, again, it's a mandatory payout on Saturday at Turfway Park for the close of the holiday meet. The winter spring season kicks off on January the 3rd, Wednesday through Saturday. First post is at 555 each night at Turfway Park this wintertime. It should be some great racing action with some, some full fields and big purses and big pools. We'll be having an eye on it. That's how it's been all uh, winter long so far we look forward to that continuing thank you kevin one more time thank you also to nick tamaro thanks to our founding partners 10 strike racing and the thoroughbred retirement foundation but most of all thank all of you for listening for watching our videos and generally making these shows so much fun to do this show's been a production of in the money media i'm peter thomas fornital happy new year may you win all your photos